Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on April 25th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 18, we'll read to the end of the chapter. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire and a blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken, and of things that are made, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we come before your presence not in pride, but in humility and gratitude. May we receive your word and live according to it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we have covered Hebrews 12, beginning with the call to remember the witnesses who have gone before us in verse 1. We're told to look unto Jesus as our example in the faith, verses 2 and 3. We're taught to receive the discipline of the Lord, both the formational and correctional discipline, verses 4 through 11, and then to pursue peace with one another because we need the whole body, not just ourselves individually, verses 12 through 17. Today, we come to a passage that the author of Hebrews does this regularly, he will give an allusion to the Old Testament 
to stories that happened in the Old Testament. Then he will center the people back on the exhortation to remain faithful in this time. They were tempted to leave the faith. These were former Jews who, or they were born Jewish. They had become Christians and they were ostracized. They were persecuted. Some of them had lost homes, had lost family members to persecution and affliction. And they had a realistic temptation to leave. And so the exhortation throughout Hebrews is to remember and follow God faithfully. Persevere in your trials. Now, it's hard to be hopeful when we consider ourselves in the light of God's people in the Old Testament, that is Israel. Because if you read the story of Israel, they would have ups and then they would go down. And sometimes they would fall further down than they were, it seems like, before. So they were, most, or many of them were unfaithful. But in Hebrews 12, 18 through 29, the author calls to mind that there is a difference between Israel in the Old Covenant with the church in the New Covenant. And that difference here lies in the mountain from which they approach God. So this passage is a story of two mountains. The old mountain, we see in verses 18 through 21. He goes back, he hearkens back to the book of Exodus chapter 19, when Moses ascended to God on Mount Sinai. And it was fearful. It was a fearful time for everyone involved. So let me read for you from Exodus 19 to get a little bit of an idea. This, would be, this is one of those passages that you know, we might prefer to have you know, something like 3D imagery so that we could see and experience, but even that would not suffice to give us an accurate picture. So from Exodus 19, it says this, verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and, dis and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze upon the Lord, and many of them perish. This mountain was a fearful place. If the people came too close at that time to the mountain of God, they would die. Only one who is sanctified, that means set apart and cleansed, could go to the mountain of God, and that was Moses. God's voice here is described like a trumpet. But don't think of the modern type of trumpet that, that we would hear played. This was a deep 
bold horn that shook the mountain and consequently also the, the land around the mountain. Psalm 68.8 says that the earth shook and Sinai itself, the mountain was moved at God's presence. The people were so fearful that they asked God to stop speaking because it was just too much. So for us, it would be the equivalent of if you go to a place, if you've ever seen a mountain that absolutely dwarfs you. So the closest I can think of would be something like what they have out west. I remember uh, a few years ago, I was talking to a lady, this is before we had moved out west and uh, had the privilege of seeing the Rockies and uh, this is a place in the, the mountains here, the Appalachians, and the lady said, she was from Colorado, she said, you guys don't have mountains. You have hills. We have mountains. Now, of course, people in the Himalayas would say the same thing about anyone in the United States. But if you picture a high mountain, it would be the combination of one who goes up to a mountain, and then when you're looking, you know that God Himself is there. And you know that because there is fire that has come down from the sky and there is smoke all around it, and it is shaking. There is an earthquake, there's lightning, there's thunder, and it's greater than anything you ever heard. That is the mountain of God. They knew something was going on here, the likes of which they had never experienced. This place is not a place that man or beast can go into. If they do, again, they perish. Nobody wanted to go there. Moses himself, verse 21, we read that Moses was fearful. He was shaking. Don't take that like... Don't moderate that. Moses was the man of God, and Moses was afraid. They knew that God was there. And He had revealed Himself as the consuming fire. And the people would rather not face that fire. They knew that their works would only bring condemnation. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 25, that Sinai is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for slavery to the law. And this passage picks up on that Metaphor. Like Israel of old, we find no rest when we approach God from this mountain. There's no hope for us at Sinai. Sinai was a place where God's law was given. The law is good. Don't misunderstand. It's a gift from God. The law is a blessing. But it is a blessing because it reveals to us the holiness, the perfection, and the goodness of God. It reveals to us who God is. It's not a random series of statements that God makes because He's in a particular mood at that time. It, these are the eternal standards of God. 
you and I cannot work enough, do enough, try enough, or strive enough to earn God's favor. That's impossible. Well, some people, if you stop there, some people say, my goodness, where's the hope? And they, find that they try to take hope or take shelter in saying this, that God is now different since Jesus came. He's more loving. He's nicer. He's gone from being harsh father to nice grandfather. I mean, seriously, there are people who project this about God, and that's the way that they offer hope. But I'm going to tell you, if your hope is based on the fact that God has changed, that's not hope. God has not changed. He is the same then as He is now. We cannot go to God. We cannot come to God through Mount Sinai. We must approach Him by way of another mountain. And that is exactly where we are. The old mountain was Sinai, but the new mountain is Mount Zion. Verses 22 through 24. We approach God here. This is the new mountain of God, the place where His holiness dwells. Again, He's not changed. Our God is and always will be a consuming fire, as He is described in verse 29. The people knew. Even the people in the book of Hebrews, they, they understood the idea that God is on a mountain and you must ascend to that mountain. And it's not just the Jews. The idea of a mountain of God, a place where the God and His host dwell was universal in ancient societies. What we know if we had, if you ever studied Greek mythology, that the Greeks had Mount Olympus where the gods dwelt. The, the place where, you know, if you were, did really well, perhaps one day you could go there. But I'm going to tell you what. The Greek idea of Mount Olympus is a pale, stale, old and worn out imitation of the mountain of God that's given to us, the picture that's given to us in Scripture. If we understood the richness of this image in Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, if we understood what we were coming to, we would never think, why did the Greeks get all those really cool superhero-like gods? And all we have, because honestly, I mean, what do you think of when you think of angels? When you think of coming into the presence of angels, what do you think of? Most people think of fat little babies with wings. Honestly, that's the way it's projected when in fact, what does Scripture teach? The first time we ever see any type of minister or any type of servant of God appear, it is a cherub with a flaming sword in Eden who is again rejecting Adam and Eve, keeping them out of God's holy mountain garden. That's the first time 
we see this. And all of those creatures are included here. So, so who all dwells in this holy mountain? Let's read this again. You've come to Mount Zion, verse 22, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Those angels include all of the heavenly beings and hosts that reside in the presence of God. Think of Daniel chapter 10. Michael, the archangel. Does he count? Gabriel. And I've got news, there's not just two. There's more. You read in the book of Chronicles, you see one angel of the Lord who comes into a place and it says that he, sl that he slew thousands. Just one. This is just one element of the company that we have come to. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. These are the people that are mentioned in the Old Covenant that, that he talked about in Hebrews 11. All those faithful saints who have gone before us, they're, all, they're there. They are in the presence of God. They are on the holy mountain. To God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. That is all who have died in the Lord. Remember the book of Revelation, which says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord. From henceforth, that means from now on, for they rest from their labors. Where are they resting? They are resting in the presence of God in the holy mountain. That's what Hebrews 12 says. And we come to Jesus, here called the mediator. And this is the way, He is the reason why we have come to this mountain. It is through Him that we come to God. The difference between God's people in the Old Covenant and God's people now is that the mediator died. The one we needed to open the way for us to come to God in His holy mountain has come. He opened the gates to this heavenly land, to Mount Zion, to God's people where the saints in the Old Covenant, and they had to wait. They were looking towards the day when the Mediator would come. They anticipated that day. They looked for it in faith, but it hadn't come. But when Jesus came as our Mediator, He died and gives us access now to God's presence. Now, it, it would be easy to skip the last statement in verse 24. After he says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he said, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, up to this point, he's talked about beings. Okay? Angels. General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, God the Judge of all, Jesus the Mediator of a New Covenant, Spirits of Just Men Made Perfect, and Blood. This is not just ordinary blood. This blood speaks 
Now, I'm going to tell you what. We're, we're moderns, so we just kind of skip over that because it doesn't really make sense to our ears. So when something in Scripture doesn't make sense to our ears, what are we trained to do? You ignore it and hope that nobody who's liberal ever calls you on it. Because then you may have to give an account for it. You know, you have to believe it because we believe the Bible. So what are we... Well, there's good news, folks. This statement that we've come to the blood of sprinkling, there's a message in this. This blood is how we enter. Every time we come into God's presence, we come through the gate over which the blood of Christ stands. Do you remember the Passover? The whole reason for, for putting the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts. Why did they do that? So that who would pass? Death angel. And all who were inside are protected. But he says specifically that this blood that we've come to speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, what, what did the blood of Abel do? Well, if you go back to Genesis, it says when Cain slew Abel, God told Cain, the blood of your brother cries to me from the earth. The blood of Abel called out to God. Let that sink in. Blood that is shed speaks. What did it cry out for? It cried out for vengeance. It cried for holy justification, for vindication. Wrong was done to Abel and the, his blood cried to God for justice. But Jesus' blood, the blood to which we have come, Jesus' blood also cries out. It speaks to God. But Jesus' blood cries out that vindication has been accomplished. And it's not just once. It is eternal. If you fear death. If the thought of death is unnerving, and it is to plenty of people, and as it draws closer, as you age, the thought of death will come to you more often. When your time comes to die, at whatever age, the blood of Christ will still cry out to God that you are righteous before Him. And the angel of death that was such a fear and a curse to men in the past will be an angel of deliverance to you to the heavenly land eternally. That's good. This is why the blood of Abel that speaks is a wonderful thing because it points us to Jesus and His blood that's going to call out that justice is done. 
Then the, the author draws his conclusion in verses 25 through 29. And the conclusion is this. Serve God with gratitude and godly fear. He tells them in verse 25 to listen, which Israel did not do. He said, see that you do not refuse him that speaks. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth. So if they didn't escape, we won't escape if we refuse God's word. If we refuse his voice. If we turn our ears away from him, there, there, we have no hope. Again, you, you can't go back around to Sinai and say, maybe I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And the author's reminding them of this because God was working through all the turmoil that they were facing. If you look historically at, what, at what's happening, persecution would, would ramp up soon against even the Jews by the Romans. And the things that they had built their culture on, the sacrificial system, the temple, all of these things were going to be overturned, disrupted. What they had hoped for would be gone. And you know we don't like disruption. We don't like it when Jesus comes in and turns the tables over. When the idols that we have, that we quietly keep, are toppled. When the legs are kicked out from under it. But what is He doing? When God is, is working all these things, when, when He is allowing disruption to come to our lives, He is shaking the world. He is shaking us. And we're a part of the world. We can't escape it. So, so we will see the disruption. We will experience these things at times. The things many had placed their hopes in were going to be dashed. Because when God comes, He never leaves things the same. But even though He is removing the impermanent things, His kingdom will remain. He said in verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. We are called to God's holy kingdom. The kingdom that will stand. This is why we're called to this mountain, to this place, because when we come to Mount Zion, it stands forever. All who are on this mountain, all who stand on the side of the Almighty will remain. I cannot give you hope long term for the health and the prosperity of the United States of America. Reading world history, places come and places go. Nations rise and nations fall. 
God rules over all those things. I pray for His peace over the, the place where we live. And we should pursue His peace and His good for the place where we live. But do not put your hopes that this place will remain. Just like the people of old, the early Christians could not put their hopes that the Roman Empire would continue. It didn't. The Lord does not allow any place to remain the same. Babel always falls. But the kingdom of God always remains. The message to these Hebrew Christians is the same message to us today. If you look around and you feel like the world is going under, you, as God's child, are not going under. You have come to the heavenly country, to the new creation. You are receiving a kingdom that will not and that cannot be moved. When the world falls apart, Zion will stand. And all who are part of that kingdom will remain forever. Therefore, be faithful to God. Serve Him with gratitude. That's what He means when He says, let us have grace. That means let us be grateful. Let us give thanks. Serve God with gratitude. Worship Him with reverent joy. Come to God, the great consuming fire, but come through Mount Zion, through the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel, to Jesus Christ the mediator, to God the judge of all. Come and be changed eternally. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the promises You've given. May we receive them and may we serve You with reverence and godly fear and may we persevere in this life through eternity by Your good pleasure. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed K I R K dot com. Oh.